Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're talking with Nicole Cozine. She is a pelvic floor physical therapist and founder of Pelvic Sanity, where her team treats men and women with pelvic pain and pelvic floor dysfunction from across California and around the world. We're discussing her book, The Interstitial Cystitis Solution. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, So can you just... uh, Tell me, what made you decide to write this book? Okay, so I started out as a physical therapist, um, just doing orthopedics first, and uh, found a really passion for pelvic physical therapy, treating men and women with pelvic pain. And in doing that, I started to see a lot of people that had interstitial cystitis or thought that they had interstitial cystitis and were kind of on this crazy journey of not knowing exactly, you know, when they were going to get diagnosed or how they were getting diagnosed and their doctors were seemingly confused. And, and so um, I started to get really interested in this condition. I was like, why in the world is this so, how can this be so confusing? Because we were getting people better um, by treating their pelvic floor and um, pelvic pain symptoms. And so um, I started to, to just do a ton of research and found that there was so much misinformation on the internet. Um, and, you know, the Internet can be a blessing and a curse. So it, it's great that, that people can look and find things that maybe they wouldn't have had access to previously. But, um, but there's also a ton of misinformation out there. And so I, I see was one of those conditions where it, was re- it seemed to be really bad to me in terms of the, the just straight-up incorrect information. And so I started to think about maybe blogging about it and whatever, and, and my husband's actually a writer, um, and he, was, he said, you know, you should just write a book. And I was like, I can't write. I, don't, I, I <laughs> suck at writing. Um, and so, yeah, that, it, that sort of is how it sort of started. He pushed me to write a book. I ended up just blabbing to him um, about all, so all, everything in the IC solution is was in my brain, and I didn't couldn't put it down on paper until he helped me uh, get it get it down. So the well, organizational you know, <laughs> part of the book is like oh, all him. It would have just been word vomit otherwise. Well, you know, I've I've read some of those books, so they're okay too. It's just a little harder to find the information that you need. But you know, just because we're good at something doesn't mean we're good at writing about it. So it's great that you had his help with that. Um, So I just want to talk about uh, what interstitial cystitis is, and you've called it IC, just so everybody knows that's the abbreviation for interstitial cystitis. Um, Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so, and and funny you should mention that there's, in the book I call it alphabet soup, right? There's all types of alternative uh, terms for interstitial cystitis. IC is one of them. It's now been also called painful bladder syndrome, PBS or bladder pain syndrome, BPS. Um, it's also been called, you know, hypersensitive bladder syndrome, all kinds of other things. Um, but it, IC is pretty much the, like, the most used phrase now. Um, IC is a bladder, I call 
it a condition. Some people call it a disease. I, I like the, the connotation of a condition um, better than disease, but it's, a, it's once um, talked about as being a bladder disease, but in fact, it's actually more of like a, just a pelvic pain condition in which there are bladder symptoms. And so the biggest symptoms are urinary urgency and frequency. Um, many people with IC uh, find that them, they think that they have an UTI. They're misdiagnosed with multiple UTIs before. Um, and I usually describe it as like UTI times a thousand. It's not just simply a UTI. It's, it's very much painful, um, urgency, frequency, burning, um, and then suprapubic pain or pain right above the pubic bone. And those are two, the two hallmark symptoms, is the urinary symptoms and then the pain symptoms from it. So, um, I mean, this kind of sounds, most women have been through this, um, you know, thinking we have a, a bladder infection and often um, we do, but this sounds like it's a little bit different, a little more extreme, obviously, and, not, and I'm guessing not an infection. Yeah, definitely. It's not, although it can't, a lot of times people can be diagnosed with an infection and, and actually have a positive U, UTI, urinary tract infection, and then those, the infection clears and then the symptoms remain. So that is um, one way that um, IC can sort of manifest. And then the other way is that it, you continue to get negative urine cultures, even though you swear you have a UTI, um, and even to the point where some physicians will just give you rounds of antibiotics because you're so adamant about the fact that you have one, um, even though you're testing negative. And so, um, yeah, and so I call those like phantom UTIs. It's like you swear you have one. It feels exactly like one, um, maybe even more painful than one you've ever had. And then, uh, but all the, all the urine tests and stuff keep coming back negative. And so then the question is, well, what else is going on and what is actually causing that pain? Um, and so that that's the big question. And um, I think that a lot of uh, people blame the bladder um, when, in fact, as, as we've gone through and we just had a, a big in 2004, 14 or 2011 um, had a huge, huge, huge study um, that studied all of the symptoms of IC and everything, and they found that um, a lot of them can be coming from the pelvic floor, and I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit later, but um, that the bladder is uh, simply an innocent bystander in this complex web of pelvic pain symptoms. Um, and so I think from a physician standpoint, it's very easy to blame the bladder um, because it does feel so bladder-like and there are bladder symptoms associated with it, right? Urgency and frequency of urination. But in fact, um, there's a lot of other things going on uh, which can be causing the pain and irritating the bladder. So um, before we go into, um, you know, in more details about that, what the cause is, I want to talk about the history of interstitial cystitis. Um, interestingly, um, I did a show with Mia Dusenberry on August 13th um, about her book, Doing Harm, which was about how um, women have been treated um, in the history of medicine and also how we're still treated. And, you know, reading um, your book and a few other things on IC, um, it kind of seems like this same thing is happening in this category as well. So can you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, this, this story is actually really interesting. And um, I think some of the, you'll, we'll see here how that's happened in, with IC as well. So 
the first time that IC was ever really recognized um, was in the early 1800s. IC was initially categorized as something called a bladder tick, um, which was almost suggesting like there was a nerve problem as the root of the condition. And it wasn't until 1876 that the term interstitial cystitis was actually used, and that and cystitis just means inflammation of the bladder, um, and interstitial is like the middle part of the bladder, and so that. That was based, the name interstitial cystitis reflects the impact that the inflammation has on the bladder. So um, then in about 1914, around the start of World War I, a urologist named uh, Guy Leroy Hunter found these, what he classified as, quote, elusive ulcers um, in the bladder of some patients. And these ulcers now have the name Hunter's lesions. Um, and so researchers then from that point on for about 50 years assumed that all patients either had these Hunter's ulcers or would inevitably, inevitably develop them. And so, you know, but then you're having the people that get tested for them that, that don't have them. And that sort of started to be like, oh, well, does this really exist? Why doesn't this person that seemingly has IC um, have these ulcers? Maybe she's making it up. And so that's where I, I feel the stigma of IC sort of happened in that 50-year period. And it wasn't until 1978 that there was a study out of Stanford um, that, where researchers actually demonstrated that the vast majority of patients with IC actually don't have Hunter's lesions at all. And they've actually proved that, that the condition could be um, present without Hunter's lesions. And so then, then you start to have all of those different names of what is it really. And, um, and so, but that, that started, I believe, the stigma of it. And as early as, or as really as late as like 1970, even urology textbooks, and I'm sure you read this in the book, but um, I'm going to go ahead and just read it from it. It says, um, this is now in a urology textbook where doctors are, um, are reading this and learning about it. And it says, um, it makes a thoughtful physician wonder about the possibility of a mildly masochistic woman with the destructive need in the female to suffer and to have, quote, unquote, trouble with her genitourinary apparatus. And so I feel like that, I mean, that wasn't that long ago. And so 1970, that's what they were still learning. And, and that's still, that was still getting taught by urologists that, oh, maybe these people are just a little bit crazy um, and that they're having some masochistic tendency to, to, <laughs> to have a problem. And so then fast forward to the 19, 1987s, um, there's a formal definition of interstitial cystitis was finally created in 1987. Um, and then the American Neurological Association, fast forward another 20 years, uh, first published their first guidelines on IC in 2011. And then they were just recently updated in 2014. So um, it's been a, a long road for IC. Um, I think just recently we're starting to understand that men can have the condition. Um, I think that, you know, this is where internet is a little bit of a blessing. I think that patients aren't standing for that, oh, just relax, you have to have a glass of wine, it's your anxiety, um, that kind of stuff. I think people are now standing up a little bit more to people that say that to them. And so uh, we just need to keep pushing forward. And as a medical community, we need to um, understand the journey that 
the condition has taken and um, really be mindful of, of, you know, the struggles that people go through as well. Well, you know, it, speaking of those struggles, of course, in, in my research, I was I was online, and um, when you when you go on Instagram or you or you look at um, help groups where they talk about IC, it sounds devastating, and um, you know, w- women are are depressed and suicidal, and they feel alone, and the medication's not working, and they're told um, urologists are still staying to people that I don't believe that this is real. Um, so how, what kind of impact does that have on people? You know, I, it, it, from a practitioner standpoint that actually treats, I mean, I treat a lot of people with IC, and I would say that, that the fact that it, we, you the patients come in and they are starting so low um, in there in terms of their, like, psyche about they've just been beaten down by either the medical community or, or they've, they've looked for support in, in support groups and stuff, and everybody seems to have the same story, right? No one's listening to them. Um, they're starting to doubt themselves. Maybe I am really you know, making this up in my head, is it really that bad? And I think from, that's a, the, one of the biggest challenges that I have is to, is to re, rewire that, that thought that this is a disease, I'm not going to get any better, my life is over, that kind of thing. Um, because we do, and the first sentence of my book is like, thousands of people with interstitial cystitis live healthy, pain-free lives, and so can you. And so I really, truly believe that. And and I feel like it's so it's destructive for for to think that you can't, and that's one of the reasons why I don't like calling it a disease. I mean, I know that that's what it technically is, and I don't mean to discount at all the difficulties that someone goes through with this with this condition. But there are so many ways that you can break the cycle of pain and and inflammation and nervous system upregulation. And so there's so many things that we can do to, to manage it and even get to be symptom-free. Um, that's the message that I wanted to bring out with the book and, and hope that all of my patients understand too, uh, is that this is not the end of the world. This is difficult and challenging and it sucks a lot of the time. Um, but that, you know, we can, you can do a lot of things about it and to get symptom-free. Well, um, thank you for for sharing that information because when when you read all those, um, the desperation, I'm glad that there is a place um, where people can get the information and the proper information, as you said, um, and and to know that that there's hope because, I I mean, I I first had read that actually in Maya Dusenberry's book that I see actually has a very high suicide rate. And then when I went online researching it, you know, I did um, discover that that is how people feel. And I do think it starts not, I mean, there's the inflammation and the pain and, and how disruptive it is. But when we don't believe people, you know, if you're a doctor and you have a patient in front of you and, and you tell them it's anxiety or in their head and they're, they're, whole life has been destroyed what what do you have right so so like you said we need to change the perceptions of um of not only this illness but of course how women are are treated and you know we really um we really do know what's wrong with our bodies and and it should be that that can be taken at face value 
Yeah, and then I definitely think, too, that part of the, um, it's been very interesting to see some of the younger generation of people that I see, like in their 20s and even in their teens, um, don't take their doctor's word for that as much as somebody in their 40s or 50s does. So I think that hopefully as now that, that there's like a generational gap in that, um, that, that there'll be put more pressure on the American Neurological Association, the, you know, urogynecologist to, to make sure that if you're going to treat IC, if you're going to say that you treat IC, that you need to be educated in the most up-to-date um, manner. And if, if you don't, then you at least need to refer. If you don't want to treat people with IC, that's fine, but they at least need to, to refer them to someone that does or refer them to a reputable source of information um, or refer them to the AUA guidelines, which we talk, I talk a lot about um, in the book since they were just revised in uh, 2014. And so as a patient or someone that doesn't know if they have IC or not, that those guidelines can be really helpful in sort of a litmus test of how well your doctor and your medical team, number one, knows the condition, and number two, is treating you per those guidelines. Um, and so it's, it's a really good test to see, like, oh, is this person right for me? And don't be afraid to change your practitioner um, from, a physical, from a physical therapist, an acupuncturist, a physician. Just don't be afraid to get the right team for you because there's a lot of people out there, and you just got to find the right fit. No, that, perfect. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Nicole Cozine, and we're discussing her book, The Interstitial Cystitis Solution. We'll be back shortly. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent, inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Everything is energy. It's all connected. Your energy can be seen as the foundation for your life and impacts all areas of living. Do you realize that your thoughts have the power to affect how you show up? Tune in for Healthy Energy with Margot, featuring host Margot Nielsen. Margot and her guests will show you that connecting to your energy is vital to your health, relationships, money, and more. Listen live every Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Nicole Cozine, and we're discussing her book, The Interstitial Cystitis Solution. So, Nicole, um, I want to talk about what causes IC. Do we know this? Oh, good question. Um, We technically still do not know what causes IC, and that can be pretty disheartening to a lot of people, Um, but I... I am. I try to spin that positive because it. I feel like we put so much emphasis on, oh, what we don't have a cause, we therefore we can't find a cure, and then we cannot let that fact that we don't totally know um, stop us from doing what we can about the symptoms and the condition itself. So, here's what we do know. We know that interstitial cystitis is a, is a multifactorial problem. If, if it weren't, if it were a single cause, this has been researched for a long time now, and people are always trying to search for the cause of it. If we could find it from a bladder marker, if it was hereditary, if it was an inflammation that's only inflammation, if it was nervous system only, we would have found that out already. And so... The biggest thing to, I think to take away is that it is a it's a very complex and multifactorial issue, in which there are multiple causes in varying degrees for different people, um, and so that's what we have to figure out. That's what my job is as a pelvic physical therapist is to figure out what percentage essentially is coming from, let's say, the pelvic floor because the pelvic floor can cause bladder pain and urinary urgency frequency and the nervous system upregulation, stress, anxiety can actually cause bladder symptoms and it can influence pain. Um, What is the estrogen's role? We used to think that um, estrogen played a huge role in IC, and it's been shown to be varied. I mean, some people feel better on their periods. Some people feel uh, worse. So we know that it might affect somebody, um, but that it's not the cause. And so what percentage in that patient right in front of me is, is that? Now, if they also have another comorbid condition, meaning um, another associated condition that also affects potentially inflammation. Um, a big one is endometriosis or PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Like if somebody has that in addition to IC, then maybe the hormonal fluctuations there also impact the interstitial cystitis symptoms. And so um, the biggest thing I think to realize is that that it's multifactorial, but that's, in my opinion, very positive because that means there's multiple things that can influence symptoms. It's not just one thing. And so the more sort of darts we can throw at the board um, and hit the board, then the better you will be in the, in the long run. Well, so and I also... I that answers that question. 
Yeah, well, I, I think mainly what that that tells us is that we we don't understand, which it seems like a lot with with I mean, there's a lot of illnesses that we don't understand. Um, one thing that I did notice, especially doing a little bit of research, is that most people that are affected by IC also have other illnesses. I mean, the the list was quite long: IBS and lupus and fibromyalgia, and I mean, I'm sure you can talk about this more. But it just seemed like. Mm-hmm. It was, um, and mostly women at this point have been diagnosed, um, that, you know, were, were disabled by more than one thing. So they, you know, were uh, very uncomfortable. Yeah. And so, you know, is there, there could still be a common denominator of, you know, some people are looking into the autonomic nervous system um, to see if that is truly a cause, um, you know. So it's just... I just feel like no, the the fact that we don't know means that that there's a lot of things we can do about it. And the other thing about that is is that what we do know about it too is that it's not just the bladder lining. And I think that's where a lot of people too, that's where a lot of myths come from. I mean, the bladder lining is affected in some patients, but and maybe even in the majority of patients, but it is not the only cause for symptoms, and that's where it gets super confusing on diagnosis, and uh, we used to think that we could diagnose interstitial cystitis, like we could see it and uh, in the bladder and by a cystoscopy, which is like a little camera that goes up your urethra and, and looks around, um, and while it can diagnose Hunter's lesions, Even if the bladder lining looks irritated, that doesn't mean you have IC. And the American Urological Association actually has specifically stated that cystoscopy cannot diagnose IC. And so, you know, I call it the cause conundrum. The cause conundrum is also bleeds into the fact that it's difficult to diagnose, right? Because if we don't know the cause, then we can't, it's hard to test for it. And then the diagnosis becomes difficult. Um, and so, ironically, sometimes when people come into my office, um, they say, you know, I don't know, you know, I think I might have IC, or uh, my doctor says I don't have IC, but I feel like I do. And my my response to them is like, okay, like either way, whether you do or don't have it, you have some symptoms of urination issues, right, with urgency frequency, and some sort of pelvic pain. Uh, super pubic pain, perineal pain, whatever. And so in that way, like, I can help with that no matter what the label is, you know? And so I think that that's the biggest thing is we don't, it's okay if you don't know if you have it, um, and it's okay if you've been diagnosed with it. Either way, there's multiple things that you can do about the symptoms to get your life back. So, I mean, I, I was going to ask you how it's diagnosed, but I guess now we know it is one of those elusive things unless you have an ulcer. Um, you know, you're, it may not happen. And also you may have a urologist or a doctor who, you know, believes the old textbooks that, you know, it's not a real thing. I don't know what what person would want to go through IC on purpose, um, but for I some know, reason, know. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't sound very pleasant. And actually, I'll just get you to describe um, what it feels like and, and what somebody's life is like when, especially when they're starting with it and they haven't done any treatment before they get it under control. What does that look like? 
Um, well, it, the thing is, is, it looks really different for a lot of people. So it can look as as simple as someone's going to the bathroom a lot of times with the occasional pain episode or flare, um, or it can look as devastating as you can't get out of bed, you can't be more than a few steps away from the toilet. Um, you know, uh, people's lives are affected in terms of their personal life. A lot of times another uh, really common um, uh, symptom of, of interstitial cystitis is painful intercourse. And so um, a lot of people have their relationships very much affected, uh, both sexually and just otherwise. It's difficult um, to be the partner of someone that's constantly um, in pain. Um, I feel that a lot of people, if they didn't have anxiety to begin with, end up having anxiety about being away from a bathroom, going to um, a, being in a social social situation where you don't know if you can get away. Um, a lot of people have difficulty at work. Um, because, you know, if you have a job that requires you to be away from a, a bathroom or you're um, in a meeting or something um, and you're the one who's always having to get up and, or, or can't work because of pain, um, yeah, it can, be, it can be really impactful, totally impactful in all aspects of your life. I have a lot of um, moms with IC that feel like um, really terrible about themselves because they feel like they can't be the mom that they want to be. Um, and, yeah, it can be super impactful in someone's life um, in all areas. Um, but there is um, ways that we can help with all those things. And so, um, you know, I've gotten people back to being able to run again and exercise and play with their kids and get back to work and, and, and stuff. And so there is, there's lights at the end of the tunnel for all that. But it can, you, we can't discount how much, how hard that is to get there and um, how much like perseverance you have to have through the ups and downs of flares and, and, uh, and everything. So um, it could definitely be very impactful. Um, and like you said, the um, a lot, anxiety and depression is, is high in this group um, for good reason because it's a big deal. Um, but I think that the more that you assemble a good medical team, the more that you are open with your family about the things that you're struggling with, um, and the, and if you can find a good, I'm going to plug a little bit of pelvic physical therapy. Um, we're the people that see you like once a week, um, once or twice a week for however long it takes to get you better, um. So if you find a good person like that that can be both your cheerleader and the quarterback kind of of your medical team, then then there is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, which is, is great to hear. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some of the misinformation that's out there. You address some of it in your book, um, and I know that... that there is a lot out there, and I think part of this is comes from the desperation people are in and the lack of information. But can you just address some of the things that um, that people are talking about? Absolutely, and you know, a lot of this comes in because, like we were talking about, we don't know the cause, therefore diagnosis is hard, and um, the. There's just so much misinformation about this, and so here we're going to go through a couple of the myths, right? Um, myth number one, IC is just solely a bladder condition. If, you, if we only treat the bladder, we are missing a huge piece of the 
of the IC puzzle. And so that's why sometimes if a, if a person goes into the doctor and they get put on Elmeron and they have installations and then they wait six months and then magically nothing happens, um, that's because IC is not just a bladder condition. So that's one myth that we try to bust a lot. Um, even though you're having bladder pain and bladder symptoms, there's a lot of other reasons and other things that can irritate the bladder. Um, and it, pelvic floor is one of them. Um, and and there's a, a nervous system is one of them. And anxiety is one of them. And so that's where, um, that's one of the big myths. The other myth is that IC is rare. There's actually a lot of people um, that have this condition. And so I think uh, up to 12 million people, that's the most um, that's the most current number that we have. You'll probably, if you read, see it anywhere from 4 million to 6 million. But the uh, RAND Corporation did a study that's called the RICE study, R-I-C-E, which is, stands for the RAND Interstitial Cystitis Epidemiology Study. And um, they actually anticipate that it's more like that's where the 12 million comes from. Um, so... That's probably how many people you are not alone if you have it. Um, so that's that. And then well, the other one of the other big ones. Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay, there's a lot of um, myths around that it primarily affects women. And one of the biggest things about that came out of the Rice study was that chronic prostatitis and interstitial cystitis might actually be. Um, if not the same condition, very similar. And so, over 90% of men that had been di- that had been diagnosed with something called chronic prostatitis could also have been diagnosed with IC. And so, that I think is a myth that's perpetuated in the literature um, that it that it mostly affects women in their 40s, um, and that that is helps to delay diagnosis for a lot of people that are either younger or that are men or that are even older. Um, and so that actual statistic came from one paper um, a long time ago out of one county over like a 50-year period <laughs> where they studied like 20 people, um, and then they came with the, quote, average age of 40 years old and most of those people were women. So that's the study that everybody quotes as, oh, I see affects women in their 40s the most, and that's incorrect. And um, there's just as many people that are 20 years old, symptoms actually start can start in their teens, um, and men can have it too. Um, so I think that's a, that's a big myth we got to bust a lot um, in order to, to, number one, get the proper diagnosis, because a lot of times if you're 20 years old and you're going into your urology office, um, they're not even thinking about that diagnosis because they've been told or read that it's mostly women in their 40s. So it would be super, quote unquote, rare to have IC in your 20s. And that's just simply not true. Um, And that's now been proven. So well, and you know, it, it's uh, important to talk about this because in your book, you, you know, the 12 million people is, is the same as as how many people have heart disease or depression. So when when this is yeah. called a, a rare um, illness condition, whichever word we're going to use, um, it 
it's not. And I think that's really important. Yeah, that that there's probably a lot of people who haven't been diagnosed because it's not taken very seriously. And if if it's either diagnosed by symptoms or by a cystoscopy, um, then it's very unlikely you're going to get that unless it's very severe. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the other thing that the RAND study showed us or the RICE study showed us was that um, of those 12 million people with symptoms of IC that would be, could be diagnosed with IC, only a little less than 10% were actually diagnosed with IC. And so if you haven't been diagnosed yet, but you think you have all those symptoms, then, then yeah, then seek help as if you do have it. Um, because at the end of the day, we're going to end up trying to break that, that pain cycle at all these different areas. Um, and, and we can get symptoms better. I don't care if you have IC or not, we can still help. Um, and so I think that's a big thing we, that people get stuck on a little bit. They get stuck in a rut trying to go to doctor after doctor, trying to, quote, get the diagnosis and figure out what's wrong. And in the meantime, we can be combating symptoms and doing lifestyle changes and, um, and getting your family involved to help you and support you. And so um, I think that that it's important to, to go through and make sure that it, there is nothing else um, more, more severe, more significant, um, and rule out other things. But at the end of the day, if we don't get the perfect answer, then, then that's okay. We still need to pursue getting your life back, you know? Right. Well, exactly. Um, we are going to take a, a quick break. We're talking today with Nicole Cozine, and we're discussing her book, The Interstitial Cystitis Solution. We'll be back shortly. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Addiction can affect our relationships, our families, our home, and work lives, but most importantly, ourselves. The recovery process can do wonders in the lives of people suffering from active addiction and also for those that love them. It's not just 12-step programs, but so much more. It's learning how to live life on life's terms. If you can relate to these issues or love someone who does, start with yourself. Start by tuning in to Miracles in Recovery with host Ray Lynch, Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Hope is in your corner. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You 
are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking to Nicole Cozine, and we're discussing her book, The Interstitial Cystitis Solution. So, uh, Nicole, there's a couple of things I want to uh, talk about. One of the first things people do, it seems, when, when they're looking at um, help for this is their diet, because everybody talks about the interstitial cystitis diet. So, what is that? Oh, that's a great question. So, um, the IC diet... Um, was originally, um, it's basically it's a diet that takes away uh, flaring foods. And there's a little bit of misconception as to what foods actually flare and what foods don't. Um, and you should do a lot of research on this um, if you have IC because um, it's not necessarily that all acidic foods are bad. Um, some people believe that there are histamine-releasing foods that are bad, um, which, is, which is true and that create inflammation. Um, but the bottom line is that if IC is, is a multifactorial problem in which some of it is the bladder lining, then, then not all people are going to be the same with their diet. So the IC diet actually got started by a survey um, that basically asked people what are what foods trigger you, and that created an IC food list. So I like calling it an IC food list. Um, you know, we've simplified it to call the, it the diet, but uh, what we don't want to have people do is restrict their diet too much unnecessarily. So there are certain people that definitely have food sensitivities and some much more than others, but there's some people that don't um, or don't have it a lot. So the average IC person has basically five to seven categories of trigger foods. Um, The most obvious of those are citrus, tomatoes, spicy, um, carbonation, caffeine, alcohol, right? So um, if we eliminate those things, then um, we can see if that helps symptoms. Um, but the diet itself is not, or the icy food list is not a do not eat list. It is a figure out if those things are bothering your symptoms. Um, and so, and I always try to have people for every single thing that you take out of your diet, you need to find a safe food to put back into your diet. Um, because I've had too many people come into my office that are scared to eat, that are physically malnourished because they've restricted so many things because they think that that's all that is causing their pain and bladder issues. And that's just not true a lot of, most of the time. So you can do an elimination diet and a lot of times putting together um, either a nutritionist or a dietitian to help you with that. Um, you can find your own food sensitivities um, with the help of a natural medicine doctor or an allergist. Um, and then, yeah, and then that's, that's the food diet that you should follow is the one that's specific to you and your symptoms. Um, and there is no standard IC diet that works for everybody. 
Well, and this just says, it sounds like everything else where the symptoms aren't the same for everybody. Um, the treatment isn't the same for everybody. Different medications, different supplements, different diet, different ways to do, you know, the physio or anything else that people decide to do, acupuncture or, or whatever else people are doing. So this is, it's different and it's individual, which is what I loved about your book is it can help people figure out what what is their spectrum in this because um you know nobody is the same as you said you know right off the bat is that nobody looks the same with us there are certain symptoms but it varies person to person and it sounds like the same with treatment as well absolutely yeah and that's 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 you got to find a team that can guide you to find your best like treatment plan, you know what I mean? So some people, that diet is like the thing and they have to be super restrictive. And then if you have IBS on top of that or something else, then, you know, dairy might be your biggest food trigger for your IC. Um, so we got to find out for individually for you with everything else that you've got going on, uh, what is the best way to do it. But the, I don't like when people perseverate over the diet because then you're missing a huge piece of a lot of other things that you can be doing um, that can help your symptoms. Well, exactly. So now I want to get into the physio part um, because, of course, this is your your specialty. And so when um, can you just tell us what, what that means when somebody's getting pelvic floor physio? Absolutely. So um, in a nutshell, um, and I could talk about this for hours, so I'll keep it short, but the <laughs> pelvic floor is basically the setting for your bladder. So your pelvic floor goes is our muscles that go from your, your pubic bone to your tailbone and your sit bone to your sit bone. It creates this literally floor of your pelvis. Your bladder actually sits pretty much right on top of those pelvic floor muscles and those muscles wrap around the urethra and the bladder neck um, and are intricately involved in urination, right? So they have to relax in order for you to fully void. They have to contract to, in order for you to hold back urine. Um, and then they have to be at this like perfect little um, normal resting tone in order for you to do all these other, just to be living without uh, peeing all over, the, all over yourself or uh, feeling like you have to pee every two seconds. So the pelvic floor is our muscles and they also have nerves that go through them. And the biggest thing that I can say for people is that 90% of people with IC have some pelvic floor dysfunction. And what that means is usually with IC that those muscles are a little bit too tight, a little bit too wound up, a little bit too much wrapping around the urethra. Um, and because your bladder sits right on top of them, they can, the muscles themselves can irritate the bladder. And here's the thing, because your bladder only knows one language, all it knows is I have to pee. So if it's getting irritated from a muscle, all it's telling your brain is I have to pee. And so pelvic floor muscle dysfunction can actually be causing some of the urinary urgency and frequency that people feel. Um, It can also be um, responsible for some of the pain. They just like you can press a muscle in your your shoulder and you can have a headache, you know, that, that's an example of it, referring pain to somewhere else. 
that can be happening in your pelvic floor as well. So we can touch a muscle in your pelvic floor and then that can refer pain into maybe the suprapubic region or the, the region right above your bladder. And so there are so many muscles of your abdomen and your, your legs, your inner thighs play a huge role in bladder pain. Um, even your calves um, and your gastroc, they play a huge role in bladder pain. So that's why I feel like a, a pelvic floor physical therapist can, or physio can really help to distinguish what muscle problems somebody has that are affecting the, the interstitial cystitis symptoms. And for most people, it can be super helpful um, in helping to calm down symptoms, calm down the nervous system, um, decrease pain, uh, decrease urinary urgency and frequency. And then, of course, if maybe, maybe your pelvic floor is causing 50% of the symptoms, but that's 50% of the symptoms that can be like helped with just that. And so then we can sort of start to look into the diet and, or look into other medications that can help. Um, but there's a huge muscle component to IC. Um, and so I, I hope that everybody can get a good pelvic PT on their team. We're not all created equal, to be quite honest. And so if you've tried pelvic PT in the past, then I really feel like, and it hasn't worked for you, then don't be afraid to try someone else. Um, we all have different backgrounds and expertise and, and ways of, and personalities, honestly. Um, and so I feel like uh, it's, a, it's a great quarterback for your team because I feel like we understand both the medical side um, as well as the, the muscle nerve side. Both well, of which are know, really important, Ricey. Well, and it, it's, it is really important to, to talk about it. I mean, even if um, it's not getting to the root cause, say, but it's 50% of your symptoms, then why wouldn't you pursue that so that you can get rid of 50% of your symptoms? I, I mean, yeah, it, it, yeah it, it does make sense. Yeah. Absolutely. And I would even say that for, I would say for the majority of, of my patients that, that we can get the majority of their symptoms under control with, with, with pelvic PT and really figuring out where the irritation of the muscles is coming from. Because the other thing is, is that there's a nerve that goes through those pelvic floor muscles that have, um, we call them afferents, but they have connections to the bladder. And so most of the time, those are called silent uh, nerves to the bladder, but the pelvic floor muscles can, that are um, dysfunctional can turn on those nerves to the bladder and make your bladder feel like it has a UTI, make the bladder feel like it has to pee. And so um, there's just so many, I can't emphasize enough how many different aspects of your pelvic floor, the, muscle, the muscles and the nerves of your pelvis can influence your bladder symptoms. And so those things really need to be addressed for um, the full healing. Um, which definitely makes sense, um, you know. And and, and I love I love that you've put this all together for everybody. I mean, your book is is very easy to read. I guess we can thank your husband for that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, totally. Um, Otherwise, it would yeah. be like what? <laughs> 
Yeah, and 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 it is it is broken down, and I I think for for people who are either um, very sick or or also suffering from something else, if there's brain fog or um, you know just fatigue or um, anything like that, your book is still easy to to go through, and you can still help yourself with it. And although we're not going to have time for this, you talk about a lot of other things that people can do to help themselves. How to talk to your doctor, or, um, some medications, because doctors may not know. Um, and, you know, I've, I've heard, um, I actually saw somebody online talking about your book and they said they take it with them to doctor's appointments because, um, yeah. you know, it, it lists the medication and their doctor isn't educated because there isn't much education on this. So it's very helpful for somebody who's suffering to take this book with them and say, this is what I, I need it. It's recorded. This is, you know, how you treat it um, and, and have their, you know, open their doctor's eyes. Maybe they can help someone else as well. Yeah, absolutely. That made me really happy uh, to hear that because that, that, I love it when people take their, take control of their own health, right? And your doctor is just a human. Um, and if you find one that, that you go into there and you take your stuff and you say, hey, I've read this book and this is what I think and they, it should be a, a, a partnership, right? It shouldn't just be, nope, that's not right. It's like, you know, that's why I have those tables in there and stuff. Um, so they're, even though it's written for a total layperson, um, it also has enough backing with the research and stuff in there so that you should be able to reference resources and reference articles and stuff so that your doctor will, um, or any medical professional really, can look at that and and be like, oh, this is legit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that being said, um, how can somebody get a hold of you or your book if they want more information? Um, okay, so we have a blog and a website, and it's pelvicsanity.com, uh, www.pelvicsanity.com. Um, we have a blog there. Um, you can find more information on the the book. We are on Instagram as at Pelvic Sanity, and I'm also on Instagram as Nicole Cozine DPT. Uh, we post about this all the time. Um, what else? Yeah, we're on Facebook. Feel free to, to, to message us on Facebook with questions. We also have a uh, Facebook group um, that's called Finding Pelvic Sanity, um, and you're free to join that um, if you have any pelvic pain condition, including IC. Um, and we put tips on there uh, for you guys if you're traveling and, and uh, whatever else. So uh, we're on that quite a bit. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of resources there. The Interstitial Cystitis Association, um, is ichelp.org, is also a great resource. Um, I'm actually on the board of directors for the Interstitial Cystitis Association and the Interstitial Cystitis Network. Um, the ICN is also a great resource with very much up-to-date um, information um, on there as well. And so, um, yeah, those are like the, the top, I think, the top places to get information. Um, and, and the key is up-to-date information as well. So, Yes, well, so thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I love this show, um, and, and I'm, I'm so glad you're able to share everything with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you getting the word out.
So we were talking today with Nicole Cozine. She's the author of The Interstitial Cystitis Solution. If you want more information about my story and my health journey, you can go to my website, dr-risk.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, or probably anywhere else that there is social media. Um, Thank you so much for listening today. Just be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week. 